The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hi, Joni. It's uh, another week. It is. It's Friday, and we are back here talking about drug addiction because that's what people need to know about. And that's kind of what we do. Exactly. That's like our thing. That is exactly. <laughs> that is our thing. That's a scary thought, but that is our thing, really, well, at least on this podcast it is. Well, I think it's our thing because we, because we want to help people. That's exactly right. It's not that we have nothing better to do and we get together and just talk about the state of affairs as far as drug addiction goes. But the idea is that we want to kind of rid the world of this problem. Exactly. And we need to, I don't know that we'll be able to do it through the podcast alone, but we need to establish the fact that the, uh, what is that? The standard programs, if Mm -hmm. you will, the standard rehab programs are in fact, not that effective. And, Instead of being an alternative rehab, Narcanon needs to be the standard for rehab programs. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And the reason it's the standard, I want to make sure everyone's clear on this. The only reason traditional like 12-step psychiatric rehab is like the gold standard of how to get clean, that's been something that's been, you know, designated as such by uh, um, uh, insurance companies. Mm -hmm. The insurance companies want to pay for that. Right. That's what they think the best kind of treatment is. They will pay for that. And it kind of comes back to it, – it's kind of this whole kickback thing because you end up on psychiatric medication. You end up under the care of psychiatrists. And they know it doesn't work and you just kind of keep cycling in and out. And so everyone's kind of making money. That's in right. In that regard, the, the treatment centers are making money or the detoxes are making money. The insurance companies are making money. And people will keep their insurance policies because if they have an addict in the family especially because they know that they're going to need it again and again and again and again. And you know what? That's fine. I know for a fact it didn't work for me. Right. And it didn't work for a lot of people. Well, it doesn't work for the majority of people. I mean, we've looked at the statistics, and I'm sure I could Google it today and I could get accurate statistics on it. But you make the point, and it's one of those points, it's one of those points that makes me crazy. And that is, there are, you cannot in this country, if you had a vitamin or a supplement that you could prove that you had cured 20 people with cancer. You can't say that. You can get arrested for saying that it cures. And so the truth of the matter is that Narcanon cures drug addiction. But the problem is when you cure a, a, a condition, that means the drug companies are going to go out of business. If they can't make money on methadone or sub. sub Suboxone. Suboxone or any of those other drugs that are used to counteract illegal street drugs, then, you know, you're going up against big pharma. And it's it, it really is disgusting because of the truth of the matter is that Narcanon, in 75% of the cases, as you've told me, it will get rid of drug addiction and it does not use drugs to do that. And so you can't, I think you can't patent vitamins. You can't no. patent not natural substances. So the fact that one of the key things that Narcanon uses is is vitamins and minerals. Well, there's no money to be made in that. It it makes me insane that people would actually make money on you know other people's misery, so to speak. Well, I mean, there's, I remember uh, watching an interview or listening to an interview with a psychiatric doctor, a psychiatrist, and he said, "There's no money in cures. There's money in medication." Right. That's and right. I was like, okay, I'm like, yeah, okay. And he could admit that. Yeah. The fact that he could admit that, like on the media or wherever you saw it, that's pretty disgusting. It is. And to back up, you know, saying when you, if you say Narcanon cures drug addiction, what it does 
by saying it cures it, it handles the underlying causes to an addiction. It gets the person to a point where whatever they were using drugs, let me back up, whatever problems they had mm-hmm. that drugs were a solution to, right. those problems are actually handled at Narcanon. Right. So what you, what a person's left with is their power of choice. Right. They've given, they're given the power of choice back. They can choose to walk out the doors and never touch drugs again. And they won't feel compelled to. They won't have some, you know, kind of compulsion to do so. Mm-hmm. They won't have cravings that'll make them do that. But what they do have is the power of choice. Like when you're an addict, you don't have a power of choice just to not use drugs. You know, there's right. people out there that are like, well, why don't you just stop shooting heroin? It's like they would if they could, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Most of them would if they could. When you're in the middle of an addiction, you don't have a choice. Especially in opiate addiction, because it's like you're going to get sick, mm-hmm. you're going to feel miserable, you won't be able to function, not that you're probably very high functioning anyways, and then you're left with your problems again that you don't have a solution to, so you just go back to the drugs. You don't really have an option. Same thing with cocaine, same thing with meth. It's all the same. A drug is a drug is a drug. It's all the same. Right. Narconon handles those problems. Right. So the New Life Detoxification, the sauna, mm-hmm. handles the cravings, gets the drugs out. The rest of the program really deals with the mind and, and deals with the underlying causes to everything. So, again, you're left with a person that can choose not to use drugs again. Unfortunately, there are people that they, they do choose to go back to drugs for one reason or another. Right. For the most part, and you know, for the most part, I say more than three quarters of the people that go through the program – they want to get clean. This is their thing. They've done, they've, you know, they've been to several other rehabs that haven't worked mm-hmm. and they've gotten to a point in life where using drugs really isn't an option anymore, but they can't figure out how to stop. Right. And so that's what Narconon does to, you know, cure it, so to speak, because it gives the person the choice back on whether or not they're going to use drugs. Right. And right now, I don't know why anybody in their right mind would use drugs. It is a completely scary world out there. There's lots going on that's really, 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 it freaks me out. Right. Because, for instance, fake pharmaceuticals. Let's just pick that up real quick. There is a thing going around, and it's been going around for about five or six years, that people are buying fake drugs on the street. Now, when I was a drug addict, when you bought fake drugs, that meant you got something that like was way, way, way weaker than what you actually wanted. Because it was cut with something else. It was just right. cut with something else. Or you just got something fake. Right. That was nothing. Now, <laughs> they, they've kind of flipped that around. Now, like for instance, people will go on the street and try to buy oxycodone. Mm-hmm. They call them blues. 30 milligram oxy, oxy, oxycodone pills. Um, the street name is blues. Okay. And uh, people go out on the street to buy blues. And they'll get one that looks identical to one you get at a pharmacy. To the naked eye, you're really not going to notice that it's not real, but it's filled with fentanyl, (laughs) which, I mean, molecule for molecule, fentanyl is like way stronger than oxycodone. And so what dealers are doing is they're they're buying fentanyl in bulk from China. Because it's cheap? It's very cheap to make. So fentanyl is being bought in bulk in China, or they're making it in clandestine labs in the United States. And it's really cheap to make, and it's much cheaper than the actual pharmaceutical drug themselves. And so what they do is they press their own pills to look exactly like, you know, an oxycodone, but you take a quarter of that pill and it's going to kill you. (laughs) And there's actually, there's a guy that I work with at Narconon who has a story about that. He, um, he was clean for a while and he was working in a call center. Mm -hmm. He was like a, he was like one of those guys that sold timeshares over the phone. That was like, 
uh, really annoying people. Yep. <laughs> that mm-hmm. would t- show you the Las Vegas vacation package. Okay. Anyways, he um he was telling me a story the other day about um he had bought he had been clean for a while and then he had decided you know screw this I'm just gonna go I'm gonna, I'm gonna go use I'm gonna take one that'll mm-hmm. be fine and he bought one he bought a a, uh, a blue Roxy and uh, he took half of it. And then he couldn't, I guess he couldn't wait for that to kick in. So he took the other half and overdosed. Now, people that have a tolerance to drugs or have taken drugs in the past aren't going to overdose on a 30 milligram oxycodone. You might get really messed up, but you're not going to die. Right. Not not usually. And he like went out. Right. And he had gotten one of those fake, you know, fentanyl filled pills. Even here in uh, where we are in Florida, there's been a uh, fake Xanax going around. Mm-hmm. It looks exactly like a Xanax, but it's filled with fentanyl. So we live in a kind of a scary world where, like, <laughs> dealers don't care if they kill you. Right. Back in the day. They just want the money. They do. Yeah. I mean, I probably put a couple of dealers' kids through college with the amount of money that I used to spend. Right. So they do want your money. But back in the day, they wanted to keep your business. They wanted to keep you alive. And they wanted you to keep coming back and give you the best product they could possibly give you. Now dealers don't care if you die. Hmm. They, I mean, that's they, just, it's so scary. They don't, they don't care. I mean, that, and that's the state of affairs right now Yeah, is that, you know, at Narcanon, I'd, I'd, I could easily say that 95% of the people enrolled in the, on the program are opiate addicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You told me that. Yeah. And that's a lot of people Yep. to be that. I guess that's a high concentration of people to be on opiates. And, um, right now that's the most popular drug to become addicted to. Because you get it from so many different avenues. You can get it from a doctor. You can get it from your buddy. You can get it from your parents' medicine cabinet. You can pay a doctor to just prescribe it to you. There's all sorts of ways you can get those drugs. And it's kind of insidious how it works its way in. I had a cough one time and went to, to see my see my doctor. I think I was like 19 or 20 and I was uh, a student at university. And went and saw the doctor and he prescribed me uh, Vicodin for a cough. And I looked at him and I said what how 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 does this make sense and he went on to this thing and said oh well you know opiates have an antitussive effect and so it suppresses the cough reflex and huh. i was like uh-huh <laughs> just any reason to give it to me huh yeah and and so you can get opiates so many different ways oh you can get it for a toothache you know you can i'm sure you can get it if i had headaches i'm sure i could get one. Oh yeah you know i could get a prescription you know one, oh, you could also get a botox shot in your head for headaches yeah I, <laughs> yeah not going there either um you know it's interesting you were saying about the the fake drugs i i was doing a little bit of research before we started today because i just thought you know i have a talking point and there was an article about a guy in england and he actually wants to like like legalize drugs or deregulate drugs because his his boy his sons had gone to a Manchester United um, football game right. and took ecstasy and it turned out that ecstasy the ecstasy they took was twice the maximum dosage and they both just died right and so his solution was let's deregulate drugs so that the kids would know what they're t- I mean it's an insane solution but it was an example of you know, what happened. And so one one of the kids, they didn't name the kid, was talking about his sons. and said, well, we just want to be able to test our drugs and make sure they're not, you know, they're not bad or they're safe. But it's like, no, it's, uh, you know, you're going down a really wrong solution there. That brings up something. I, and I, I'm always bringing up things that I read. 
I notice. Yeah. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of research. And um, there's a group. So, okay, so let me back up. Harm reduction is an idea that you can allow people to use drugs more safely. Right. That's what harm reduction is. Right. So, like, Suboxone and methadone are harm reduction methods. Uh-huh. The needle exchange is a harm reduction method. And now you have uh, this group that is taking fentanyl urine tests and using them to uh, test heroin to see if there's a presence of fentanyl in it so that users can test their heroin first and see if there's fentanyl in it. And then if there is fentanyl in it, they can choose to use or not use it. Okay, so let's start off with the parts that I disagree with and the look on Joni's face. First of all, you you can't mix heroin and water and use a urine test to test that. And I was reading this whole article about how they're teaching people to do this. Because, okay, drug tests test for the metabolite your body creates in response to ingesting a drug. So, like, if you test someone for drugs... You're not testing for the actual drug in their system. You're testing for your body's metabolite that's a response to that drug. First so it's off. not going to work. You, if you, it, of course it's not. The test won't even the test won't even register they, <laughs> because the test is meant to to determine whether it's soaked up urine. Right. Okay. Second of all, um, I don't know of any heroin addict that is going to be sick and going through withdrawal. And say, well, first, uh, I'm going to test my heroin for fentanyl just to make sure it's not in it. There's a newsflash. Most addicts, most heroin addicts will want the stuff with fentanyl because it's stronger. Mm-hmm. It'll last longer and they won't get sick as much. More time in between them getting sick. Right. And so it's also like the syndrome that a bunch of heroin addicts here of like a certain spot in town that's selling heroin that's killing people. They all flock there because mm-hmm. they want that stuff. That's because they have a death wish kind of to some degree because I think – yeah. Anyway, we don't it, have to go it's there, kind but. of it's their condition in life, right? It, it, is it a death wish to some degree? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know of many heroin addicts that don't aren't just apathetic about life to some degree because the drugs turn off all your. I mean, heroin turns off all your emotions and dulls everything out. You get to a point where you just don't care, and it's a series of staving off the illness and being sick, right? And so that's probably wrong to say it's a death wish. It's probably just more. Not even, you know, like death is an option, sure, but there's way worse things like getting really sick or not having the drug that I need. I mean, heroin withdrawal is really severe. Right. I mean, imagine the worst flu you ever had. Now multiply that by about 20. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like to go through heroin withdrawal. So most heroin addicts uh, fear withdrawal more than they fear death because a condition of being an addict is not wanting to feel uncomfortable. Right. Drugs are a way of making you feel comfortable. Right. And when you're not comfortable in your own skin and you're not comfortable in your own situation in life, their drugs are there to, to, you know, to wrap their arms around you and make everything okay to some degree. Mm. And that's a tool that the, the, that drugs are used as. It's unfortunate. But okay, so back to this harm reduction people. So I'm re- as I'm reading this article, they're saying, yeah, and they're teaching people to use a fentanyl test kit. One, no heroin addict's going to do that. Right. That's not, even, that's not even an option. Second of all, I went on an investigation, and they cite, this article cited the manufacturer of the urine tests that these people said they were using. Mm-hmm. So I called them. And I, <laughs> I called their technical team, and I said, I have a question for you. I said, if you were to mix 
Would you recommend someone mix heroin in water and use one of your urine tests to test for fentanyl? And he he, he paused. First of all, <laughs> I think the thought that ran through his mind first was, I probably shouldn't say anything. Right. And then he decided to say, I wouldn't recommend you do that. I said, well, what would you recommend I do? He said, well, we also carry field testing kits that you can test a, a, a residue for the presence of fentanyl, but not a urine test. Urine right. tests are meant to test urine. And so the part that bothers me are, is that this article, these people in this harm reduction group are pumping out false information to people that's going to result in people dying. I mean, it's reckless. It's careless. You can't tell people stuff like that. Right. And me, I call shenanigans on the whole thing because I, I'm, a, I'm a drug counselor. I've been doing it for a long time and I can see all like the logics in all this. And right. so it's just like, oh my God, I'm not a big believe. I, I'm a half believer in harm reduction and half believer not in harm reduction. Mm-hmm. I don't think people should use methadone or Suboxone. Right. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a handle. Right. Do you? No. No, you're treating drug addiction with a drug is never going to work. Not any day or not any day of the week. It's never going to work. At the end of the day. The guy's an addict. He's still still addicted to drugs, right? I don't, the logic just, it kind of boggles the mind. And I think, I think that part of the reason that happens is because there's still a majority of people out there that don't know that there is another way and there is another solution. And that's what we have to keep dinging home with this podcast is that Narcanon is a solution. It is an exactly applied technology to getting people off drugs. It's not faith-based and it's not drug-based. It's drug-free, but it's an exact technology, which when applied correctly and with someone who wants to become drug-free, they will become drug-free. And I think that... So many people out there get apathetic because they try some of these programs that just don't work. And there's no technology in these programs. There really isn't. Except, oh, you know, medical research says that Suboxone is better to take than heroin. And you know what I'm saying? And that's that's bogus in itself. Let's define technology for our listeners. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I'll let you do it. Well, I, technolo- when I say technology, I mean it's it's an exact science, an exact set of steps done in a certain sequence that when done will achieve a certain result. Yeah. You know, the withdraw the way it's done at Narcanon with vitamins and minerals and procedures called assists, which help keep the addict's attention off of what's happening with the body and on the environment, then there is the uh, the New Life Detox Program. The sauna program. The sauna program, which we refer to as sauna, where, we, again, again, through vitamins and oils and minerals, the drugs actually sweat out of the body. Mm-hmm. And if anybody listening doesn't think that's true, they could talk to anybody that's ever completed the Narconon program and find out what happened to them in the sauna. Oh, yeah. And they will then know, oh, this actually does happen. And then there are certain procedures called objective drills, which again, get the addict's attention off the body and off internally, not so much the body, but off internally and on the environment. And then there are life improvement courses that give the addict tools that they can use to handle the problems for which drugs became the solution. And so those are exact steps. It's an exact technology, an exact set of steps that when applied will get the expected result. 
unless, that's a very good explanation. Thank you. Unless you have somebody that truly either doesn't want help or is unable to disconnect from whatever trigger you called it once or stimulus is in their environment that causes them to want, need drugs as a solution. Right. So there are there's a grip of addicts out there who are on Suboxone and Methadone that don't know there's another solution. Mm-hmm. Then there's another group of them that they've been told there's a magic pill that can cure their opiate addiction. They don't have to go to rehab. They don't have to do any work on themselves. They just have to sit back, pop a pill, and you're going to be fine. And that's perfect for them. I mean, you offer them a magic bullet, a miracle cure, so to speak. Right. And they don't have to do anything. They have to put no effort in, no work. They just take their meds, go home, go to work, do whatever. That's a great pipe dream for how that might work, but it's not reality. No, it's a lie. The reality is with Suboxone, most of the people I know that prescribe Suboxone sell it for money for heroin because other addicts might want the Suboxone. Now, Suboxone will get you high if you're not used to opiates. That's one thing. Second thing is uh, Suboxone sold on the streets a lot because in between dry periods where, at, where dealers might not have any heroin or a person runs out of money to buy heroin but they can afford a Suboxone, they're kind of floating around out there. So Suboxone's just as misused as heroin is. And don't get me started on methadone because it's it's ridiculous. It <laughs> Methadone's a... Okay, at least Suboxone is a partial... It's considered a partial opiate agonist. It affects three out of the five opiate receptors. Methadone is just a pure opiate. Oh, Methadone is just an opiate. I mean, it's a synthetic opiate. It's a synthetically created opiate. It's not based out. By synthetic, I mean it's not derived from a poppy plant. Heroin is derived from a plant. Right. And the morphine and all is derived from a plant. But, like, you know, methadone is synthetically created in a lab. Right. And it was originally created by the Nazis in World War II when they had a shortage of morphine, but then saw all these negative effects coming from the usage and it's, they stopped using it and then it popped back up in the 60s for. Um, for all the Vietnam GIs coming back who were going through heroin withdrawal, and they used it as a detox drug, and then that kind of caught on. That's such an interesting thing that you just kind of throw that out there. Like the Nazis used it, but they saw the bad effects, so they quit using it. So after the Vietnam War, what did we do? We, we started it. using it yeah, for, addict, for guys who came back from Vietnam. It's kind of like, what's wrong with that picture? A whole lot. Well, it's kind of like it's kind of like we could go get on a whole tangent on psychiatry like shock treatment was originally done on pigs okay we won't go there you said i'm gonna totally change the subject here because you said when you came that you just had another amish student we did tanarkin on amish like when i say amish i mean amish in every sense of the word and what everyone out there who's listening to this is thinking you're correct people don't realize how deep drug addiction goes it affects communities you would never expect it to affect. And the Amish are one of those communities. That is a community I would never, ever, ever ha- suspect had a drug problem. It, it does and maybe to some it, degree. And maybe it doesn't in general. But I mean, I just, that's, that is a foreign concept. That's a completely foreign in concept. In the Amish culture, it's through the growing up process, at some point, the kids are given an opportunity to go to like the outside world and experience that. And then if that's something they want to do, they can, you know, stay out there. And if that's not something they want, they want to do, they can come back and devote their lives to the Amish community. So there's a, there's groups of defected Amish kids that mm-hmm. defected out of the community. They're all using drugs out there. 
um, in different states. Um, there's a lot of different states that have Amish communities. This is in the Midwest okay. that we're talking about. And so there's a group of like defected Amish kids that decided to leave the community um, in search of like, a, I don't know, a better a life. life. The grass, a is, always, life. Yeah, the yeah. grass yeah. is always greener, I guess. Freer, yeah. Now, apparently, most of the kids that, that do that actually end up choosing to stay in the community, but there's a large group of them. There's a group of them that don't. And so we've had two students recently from that group of people. And so, I mean, these are like horse and buggy Amish people. And did they did these did both these students come from the Midwest? Yes, they both came from the Midwest. Did they come from like the same area? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think. Uh, I, and I don't think they would have like known each other or okay. anything like that. But it's interesting. So something that we do at Narconon, I do. I run public service announcements. Right. And we run them on TV. You mm-hmm. run them in newspapers. And being in Amish, there's an, in, in the Amish community, they don't have computers. They don't have technology. Like we have technology, but they get newspapers. Ah. Uh. And so two separate families in the country who are Amish got our PSAs. In the newspaper, and, and it was an intervention PSA. It was talking about, you know, if you need help getting a loved one to treatment, this is a service that we offer. And both these families called us, and it was actually really, it's it's it was an interesting. Did you go? Did you go to I, I the didn't Midwest? Go. I personally oh, okay. didn't go, but I know my interventionists who went were literally <clears throat> taken on a horse and buggy to go do this intervention. And so, you know, the family desperately needed help, and and they saw this as as a solution, and so. I, I sat back and I thought to myself, you know, we're at a day and age where certain communities you would never expect to be affected by drugs are completely affected by drugs. Well, and and, and we said it in a past podcast, and I'm going to say it again for any parents who are listening and they're uncertain, you know, maybe they think maybe their kids are, maybe they could, maybe not. There is no demographic in our society that is not affected by drug addiction. Rich, poor, single-family homes, multi-wealthy homes, white kids, black kids, yellow kids, Amish kids, Catholic kids. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. So if anybody's listening and they think, well, it wouldn't happen because we are Catholic, Amish, Buddhist, whatever, guess what? It can affect any family and any and any age group we talked about this yeah but that that's amazing i have a question though so you had an amish student earlier yes he's actually still there oh so neither now we have two neither one of them have finished right i'd just be curious to know i don't know why i'm curious i'm just curious to know if when they complete if they go back to being inside the community rather than trying to make it on the outside i guess we'll see yeah that remains just curious that remains to be seen who knows I, i mean our goal is to get them is to get these two people drug free, right? And so whether they choose to rejoin their community, that'd be up to them. I don't know. I would just we'll be see. curious yeah, because that, I would I think asked. that <laughs> I would think that you know they have some kind of core belief. Sure. I, I'm not super familiar with the Amish. I mean, I I know they have a very uh, what's the word? They have a lifestyle that doesn't have a lot. It's of a very, they're very Christian. They're very very devout okay. Christian. Then I would I would think that if someone came through the program, it would be likely that they might go back because once you get through the whole Narconon program, you're just going to be a better Christian or a better Catholic, right? Or a better Muslim or a better Buddhist. You know, because yeah. now you're not consistently and 
you know, you're not consistently violating whatever moral code exists because there's sure. no there's no religion or group that has a moral code that says you can go out and take drugs and lie and cheat no, and steal. So no matter what religion you are, you're going to be violating your moral code if you're sure. if you're being an addict. Yeah, I mean, and uh, they might choose to go back. Yeah. Well, there remains to be seen. Yeah. But just um, be curious, and I don't have like a you know a fixed idea on it. I was just curious. I was curious about it too. It. Yeah. I, I wondered that myself. I just never, yeah. vo- <laughs> I never voiced it. Yeah. So something that came up uh, recently in the world. So there's you know the New England Journal of Medicine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in 1980, they published a letter to the editor. It was a five sentence letter to the editor. Oh yeah, that was the one that's saying that opioids aren't addictive. That right. one. Yes. We have talked we talked about, about this a little bit? Yeah. But go ahead. I just I just found it really interesting that that article has been cited 608 times, proving the the fact that the, that the, or the idea that opiates aren't addictive. Well, and it's a lie. It's like it's like you were saying, where you called the the guys who actually research the urine test, for, yeah. you know, for fentanyl, and and they go, no, I really wouldn't recommend that you use that. Yeah. So you kind of go, well, who said it? You know, so some authority with his head where the sun doesn't shine comes out and says oh opioids aren't addictive what planet is he on and is he still around i'd like to track the guy down actually oh yeah i think his name was dr jick j-i-c-k i'd love to find out where he is i mean because that because okay we need to bring him to trial today and say okay all these people who died because they got addicted to opioids that's on you that's on you It, it I guess the reason I bring that up is because I think the general public needs to be more cautious of who they trust. Mm-hmm. Because we innately will give trust to people responsible for taking care of us. That's like, right. You're a doctor. You trust them. They're a doctor. You trust that they're going to act in your best interest. You, you know, you go to a parish, you know, a priest or whatever, you know, clergy is in your pastor, religion, whatever, pastor yeah. Yeah. or a rabbi, whatever, that they're going to, you know, work with you and act in your best interest. You know, the people we entrust with our care, we automatically trust them. Right. But we have to be really, really careful of who we trust. That's right. Because I think we've proven the fact that doctors might not be acting in any of our best interests when it comes to prescribing medications. That's right. That's right. I mean, there's no student at Narconon who's using heroin that didn't start on pharmaceutical pills. Right. Everyone, every that's, single one of them started on painkillers. That's amazing. There's I not mean, one. That's amazing. No one just jumps and does heroin. You, well, but, but some do start on marijuana. I'm talking as far as opiates go. Oh, opiates. Every, that's right. I can okay, tell you okay, that. Okay, I got every it. student, I can say this easily. Mostly, I'll say mostly, just in case there's one I don't know of. All right. Mostly every student at Narconon, when you ask them to tell you, tell you their story and where things started always goes like this. Well, when I was, when I was about 11, I started smoking marijuana. Right. And then, you know, then I started drinking and then, you know, I was 15, I was at a party and, you know, someone offered me this or I was 15, I was, you know, playing football and I got hurt and went to the doctor and I was given this. And then it just starts like that. But also a lot of it starts with marijuana and I get so much, so much hate you know, in the public arena for when I stand up and say, I don't think marijuana is a great solution for anything. I think, and and people yell at me and it's like, oh, it's not a gateway drug and all this stuff and all oh, it helps but this and helps that. It is that a gateway that. drug. It absolutely I think we, is a I gateway we, drug. Yeah, I think we've gotten, to, I think we've, 
spent enough time looking at addiction and I've heard enough stories to where like more than three quarters of the addicts I deal with all started on drugs. And the first thing they did was marijuana. Right. And so for those people that say, oh, it's not a gateway. It's like, come, come, come talk to people at Narconon. Come yeah. any, actually, I, it doesn't even have to be Narconon. It could be any rehab. Most of these addicts are going to tell you that they started with marijuana. Right. Marijuana is a gateway. Yeah, it absolutely is. And here's another thing about marijuana. Cause I was looking on the internet today. Who listening to this podcast wants to be stupid? If you're listening and you want to be stupid, send us an email, okay? Because teenagers who start on mar- marijuana, their intelligence goes down I'm sure if they continue doing marijuana. So, hey, kids, you want to be stupid? Smoke marijuana for long term and you'll be stupider. I mean, but I mean, just think about it. Who wants to be stupid? Who wants to be less intelligent than they could be? And it, and it's funny because I grew up in the 70s. Okay, 60s and 70s. And of course, marijuana was, you know, everywhere and smoking pot and everything. I could always, always, always tell a pothead. They looked spaced out. They were slow. And they sounded a little bit dumb. And I could pinpoint them. Every single time. Yeah. Every single time. And they go, oh, oh, marijuana, it's so much better than alcohol, you know. Not I the case. I think people should just not do any of that. It's Mar- not true. Okay, so if you say marijuana is better than alcohol, you're just saying marijuana is the better of two evils. That's right. Because neither are a great decision. That's right. And, but, you know, you have the people that say, well, alcohol is legal and marijuana is not legal. And there's all these reasons that marijuana should be legal and alcohol should be illegal. And it's like, okay, that's a great, that's fine. You can have that argument. But at the end of the day, both those substances are going to cause problems for people. Alcohol is terrible. Yep. You, did you know that alcohol withdrawal is the only withdrawal that can actually kill you? Mm-mm. Yeah. Alcohol is a nasty drug. Why is that? Why can the withdrawal kill you on alcohol? It drains your body of B1. Alcohol does. And when your body drops too far in vitamin B1 in the body, you start going into things called delirium tremens. Oh, that's right. Delirium tremens. If you hit delirium tremens, you're dying. It's not just flu-like. No, delirium <laughs> tremens like- is like you actually start to lose your mind. You start convulsing in seizures. You're, com- you're shaking like a leaf. And your body's nutritional systems are so messed up. That when you're in DTs, you're actually dying. Wow. That's the, when you're shaking and you're having seizures and all that stuff, your your body's shutting down. Alcohol withdrawal can kill you. And in order to come off alcohol safely, you have to do a medic you have to be medically supervised. You have that to be sense. under twenty four hour care in like a medical in a medical facility because so much can go wrong right. with alcohol detox. Well, and it makes sense because I know one of the organs that's drastically affected by alcohol is the liver. Yeah. And the liver is what filters all of your blood. And so... It filters toxins out of your blood. It filters toxins. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like the alcohol's not there, I shudder to think what then happens to the liver. And Well, the, you know. the liver... It's interesting. The liver is the most, one of the most resilient organs you have. Okay. Your liver can bounce back from a lot. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, severe long-term chronic alcoholism sc- causes so much uh, scar tissue on the, on the liver that you end up with something called cirrhosis. Right. Once you have cirrhosis, you need a liver transplant. I mean, there's okay. no two ways about that. You need to get on a transplant list and your, or your life expectancy is going to be cut. 
Okay, but you but you have a guy but, Narcanon who's seventy. You said, and he was dealing with alcohol, alcohol addiction. Did he have cirrhosis? Had he gotten to that point? No, but we've had people that have had cirrhosis come into the program, and they did fine. Okay. Now cirrhosis, I mean, there's not there's not much like physically we can do for cirrhosis. Cirrhosis is like, I mean, it's the, it's after a long term chronic alcohol usage okay. in in high quantities. Okay, that it scars the liver so bad the liver doesn't function. But they, Nearly, can, but they can still do the program. They can still do the program as long as our doctor clears them right. to do the program. And obviously, that's case by case. But your liver can bounce back from a lot. And so, you know, org- I mean, alcohol causes multi-systemic problems for people. I mean, alcohol is a nasty drug. It's the worst detox I've ever seen. I'll have people come in and do an intake who are shaking so bad they can't sign the intake paperwork. Wow. It, it looks like a... Like a like an EKG, just scribbles everywhere. And so we, we take, if people come into the program and need to be detoxed from alcohol, we immediately take them to a medical facility to get through the seizure, the, the, the seizure window. Okay. There's a window of time where you start having seizures. And so we have them medically supervised and, med- and you know, in a medical facility doing that. And then they come back and do the program. So then alcohol must specifically target nerves. Because that's what would cause the tremors, Yeah, it does no? a whole lot. It's a nasty, nasty drug. But that's a legal drug. Yeah. And so a lot of people think, oh, the good stuff is legal. And the bad things, the things that are really, 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 really bad for you, those are the illegal ones. Right now, most of the drugs that are killing people are legal. Right. I mean. Opioids are legal. I mean, opioids you know, are complete, Oxycontin and all that Oxycontin stuff is legal. It's completely legal. Vicodin Oxycodone, is completely legal. Vicodin. All that is completely legal. Alcohol, completely legal. Yeah, of course, heroin and all that stuff kills people too, and those are illegal. But it's like, it's not a matter of legality anymore. It's like, drugs are terrible. Drugs are bad. Alcohol is not good for you either. And people, if there's anyone listening that's sitting there thinking about whether or not they have a problem, they should kind of sit back and think about it for a second and take another look at what's going on with their lives. There's tons of people out there that'll do a legal drug and say, well, this is legal, so... I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, take take a step back and look at your life, and look and look at the different situations around you, and look at where things are going and where they were, and you might come to a, a realization that whatever you're taking that's completely legal is actually not that good for you. And it's probably not making your life any easier. Right. Like and, if you're drinking six beers every night and then you're going unconscious, you might want to consider whether or not that's the best lifestyle. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of like where our <laughs> that's kind of where our society is at. We have a lot of there's a lot of mixed signals that kids are given. Yep. Because kids automatically assume things that are legal are fine, things that are not legal are not fine. Right. That's how I was when I was a kid. So I was like, you never thought twice about drinking booze. That's right. I didn't either. You didn't think twice about taking the medication the doctor gave you. You didn't think twice about half that stuff. But you we were one, like, but, yeah. But the one thing I did think because, like, my parents pretty much as long as I knew them, they had a Manhattan cocktail every day. And then in their eighties, they said, Oh, it's calories. We don't need. So we're going to, we're not, we're not as active. So we're just going to quit. So they quit. Right. right? But then I think of like, (laughs) you know, it was usually guys. I don't know why, no offense to men listening, but usually guys in high school, I remember there would be a couple of them who every Friday night would drink so much that they were throwing up in the bushes. Right. And, that you know they'd be like oh i'm so sorry i'll never do this again i'll never never do this again until next friday and then they'd be in the bushes throwing up again and i just remember thinking that can't be pleasant 
I don't think I would want to go to that extent. You know, the times in my life where I've been that drunk, I didn't think it was very pleasant. I, 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 I oh, wouldn't like want to go there. Bed, like when you're laying in your bed and the room's spinning around? Exactly. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> and, I, and I actually, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, we, I will have a glass of wine every now and again. That's fine. Yeah, a glass of wine, whatever. But we went out with, uh, we work for, a com- we, are, we represent a company that has an internet um, presence and we they were in town and so as it would happen they were taking us out for drinks and we couldn't find a place that was open except for the world of beer <laughs> okay now you're gonna you're gonna really judge me after this one so I'm looking for beers and I don't I don't know beer I mean I just don't drink beer that often because it's a lot of calories and I try to keep my weight down but but they have this beer Okay, I'm really embarrassed. It was called Delirium Tremens. That oh, was the Jesus. name of the beer, right? So I tried it, and it tasted kind of good. It had like a little bit of fruitiness to it or whatever, you know, kind of tasted good. So I'm like, okay, that's fine, right? So I had one. And then, uh, you know, we're still talking and talking, so I had a second one. Oh, my goodness. The drunk. Oh, bad. I mean, it was bad. I haven't felt like that in forever. And we were in Tampa, and so I said, I said, okay, Steve, you have to get home rather rapidly. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be sick, but I'm feeling really, really bad. Why did I bring that up? I don't know. Well, but, here, I'm going to give you an interesting but, oh, factor. I guess, no, I guess the point was that I I would not want to go down that road on a regular basis right. to where I feel that bad. Do you know? I well, mean, it was just, it was bad. That's your body's reaction to a poison. Well, exactly. But 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 the guys that I would see in high school who would do that over and over and over again, week after week after week, I would go, why would you? Do- okay, here's another thing. Now, this is just me. I The 70s, LSD. Sure. People were taking LSD. Oh, yeah. I only had to read about the fact that LSD could cause birth defects. Right. And my thought process was, then why would I want to do that? So I would never do that. The thing that scared me the most about LSD was the fact that it could cause permanent psychosis. Yeah, that I may mean, have been something. I was like, I don't know if I want to fry my brain. Yeah, that may have been something else I read. I mean, because you just, and the flashbacks and all kinds of stuff. And I thought, I, I thought, and I would do this. Why? I tried to take it once. Didn't work. Oh. I think, oh. I'm not sure if it did or not. I tried. I t- at least I put a, a full effort into trying to take LSD at one point in my life, and I don't know if it, ex- if it exactly works. I don't think it did. Do you still get people coming in with LSD? No. What we get are worse things than LSD. What we okay. get are people on synthetic drugs, one of which is called 2CI. Another one is called 2CB. These are research chemicals that you can buy online. Oh, that's the elephant tranquilizer thing? No. This no. Is, these are like strong hallucinogens. Oh, wow. These are hallucinogens. What I've been told is the high is a mix between LSD and methamphetamine. Okay. Which sounds terrible. Absolutely. And So you the, can be the, really speedy while so, you're hallucinating. Right. So kids are, are, are using these research chemicals that, one, these two chemicals, not illegal. No, these are elite. These are completely legal. And at some point in a laboratory setting, they actually were used for some sort of legitimate research purpose, but they weren't made for like mass human consumption. Right. And what happened is, is those uh, the chemical formulations of these drugs were leaked out of these labs, and they're synthetically reproduced, or they're all synthetic anyway, but they're reproduced outside of those settings and sold in mass quantities online. And so kids go online and buy this stuff, and they sell it to the, they buy it in bulk and sell it to their friends, and blah 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 blah. And it's like, uh, so yeah, LSD you don't really come across it that much anymore. You still come across it, but mostly you come across weirder 
unstable chemicals. But I mean, hey, the United States loves its drugs. That's right. Do you know the U.S. consumes more drugs than any other country? Yeah, we talked about that. And we consume most of the world's opiate supply. And the which fact, is insanity. More people die from opiates than yeah. what is it? Is it car accidents and gun? Uh, yeah, guns? Oh, it's uh, gun violence. Gun violence. So yeah. we got to a point where you know gun violence is like that's something that's happened for a long time. People right. were murdered, you know, with the usage of handguns or whatever kind of firearms, you know, all throughout history. Yep. And it was always the death rates in certain areas of the country were were homicides. They weren't for, you know, for a while, there wasn't like the biggest way people die is heroin overdoses or opiate overdoses. It used to be gun homicides. Mm-hmm. And now it's actually flipped. It's now more people are dying from heroin than guns, which right. is like, when are we going to wake up? Yeah. It's like, I want to shake this country. Yeah. Like somehow and say, when are you guys going to, when are we going to wake up? When are we going to wake up to the fact that we have a huge, 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 huge problem. Yep. And, Unfortunately, Americans have this like unrelenting hunger for drugs, and it's probably the way it, they're marketed to us. Yes, all I mean, the time. I mean, whoever whoever got the legislation passed to allow drug commercials on TV should be hung up, or alcohol, and yeah, and uh, it should be strung up. I mean, it's it's disgusting. Or alcohol commercials, or billboards, or all this stuff. Yep. Like it's like. <laughs> I remember sitting in doctor's offices, you know, that totally um, were, were covered in posters and pens and mugs and, you told me. and all that stuff with drugs all over them. And it's like everyone's got some sort of incentive to prescribe this, give that, sell this. And we are bombarded with advertisements and marketing for drugs all day, every day. And let me say that I think there are way more drug commercials on television than there are alcohol. Yes. Way more. Oh, yeah. I mean, way more. Talk to your doctor if Abilify is right for you. Well, and, you know, one of those drugs, what was the one? Cymbalta. Oh, yeah. Three or four years ago, Cymbalta was advertised as an antidepressant. Right. Now it's advertised as a painkiller for arthritis. You know know why that is, right? Yeah, they just found another use for it. No, the patent ran out. Oh. So Celexa as an antidepressant, the patent ran out. And so they remarketed it as something else. That's so disgusting. It's what, it's what. I mean, the same thing happened with Prozac. Yeah. There's Prozac and then... When uh, their patent ran out, it was it was repackaged and remarketed as Seraphim. For interesting, for yeah, because Prozac got such a bad name, right? So it was, it was uh, sold as Seraphim, which was only indicated for postpartum depression, right? Yeah, I, I know we talked I, about yeah, that one. It, That's just like insane. Thing. But I mean, the the light at the end of all this is that you've got something like Narconon That's that correct. can undo all this stuff that can you know reverse the damage that drugs have caused a person and really figure out the root of what is, you know, holding them back in life right. and keeping them from, uh, you know, achieving their full potential. And so that makes me happy at the end of all this. So I can read all this bad news and I can, you know, read these articles and see all these advertisements and, you know, really get really upset about what doctors are doing and, and, and really, you know, mess my mind up about all this stuff. But at the end of it, it's like, I look around at my office and where I'm located, and I'm in a really cool spot because where I'm at is I'm part of a, a rehabilitation center and ha- that has a group of very happy students. Right. They're all getting better. And I've seen them, and they are all getting better. And it's uh, that's why we're doing what we're doing is because we know that there's a way, we know that there's hope, and we know that there's help available. And 
by the way, for anybody listening, if you go to narcononsuncoast.org, and maybe you're not quite ready to pick up the phone yet, you don't want to do that, a chat window might open up. It probably will. And someone will ask you if you need some help. And quite anonymously, you can get that help. Jason, we're out of time. But we're going to talk again. And uh, yeah, I I love it. We just get together and we we tell the hard facts and we get people to really look at it. Wake up, everybody. Wake up, everybody, everybody, because we're going to keep talking to you until everybody comes to Narconon. So there you go. I'll see ya. Bye. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 